So welcome to uh, Gospel Conversations. I'm a bit out of the picture here, but that's okay. I'm not important. Um, uh, it's been a while since we've done one of these conversations with our missionaries. Throughout COVID, we uh, got on Zoom or had uh, some of our visiting missionaries uh, that were able to come, uh, and we record a conversation. The main thing is uh, that often when we have our missionaries come through, uh, we get to see a little bit of them during Sunday morning, maybe talk to them in the foyer, but we really don't get to know their whole story. So I'm here today with uh, Jack and Ellen Hoogie, and we're going to get to know them and get to hear their uh, heart for the mission that God has called them to, and also just get to know them and their story, their journey of faith as they have walked with Jesus. So uh, Jack and Helen, uh, Ellen uh, work with North American Indigenous Ministries, and uh, if you go to the website, I think it's just name mm-hmm. dot ca or yeah, dot ca name dot You can find out all about them uh, on that website and where they're working and what their goals are. Um, so we're going to get to know Jack and Ellen, and it was great to have you here this Sunday morning. And uh, but we'd like to get to know some of your story as far as. Um, how God has worked in your life and how you ended up where you are and the call that God has had on your life. So let's go right back to the very beginning. <laughs> uh, where were you born and where did you grow up? Who wants to start? Whoever wants okay. to start. Well, I grew up in Abbotsford. Actually, it was Clearbrook back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but Abbotsford is now taken over at Clearbrook, I guess. Um, on the west coast, more or less, mm-hmm. British Columbia. Um, grew up in a Mennonite home. Okay. Was there more to that question? Yeah, no, not really. But uh, which, which, okay. uh, maybe which church in the Abbotsford area? Oh, you Central can, Heights. Central Heights. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's Actually, awesome. my grandfather donated the land for the original building. Okay. Wow. So their little farm was just down the road. Okay. Was, yeah. Awesome, Ellen. Well, I was born in St. Catharines, Ontario, and then my mom and dad went as missionaries with Sudan Interior Mission to Nigeria, West Africa, and that's where I grew up till I was about 10. And then my dad got a job at Briarcrest Bible College teaching there and became the president. My dad is Dr. Henry Budd, or was. (laughs) Small world. Yes, I I attended Briarcrest when Dr. Budd was the president in the late 80s. My dad. Early 90s. Okay, well, awesome. There you go. Yeah, so I grew up there. Okay. And met Jack after I graduated, but through friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we were dating, he had a call to be in native ministry and about second date or something he says you know I have to tell you I'm called to be a native ministry and this scares a lot of girls off Hmm. and I (laughs) I said okay whatever because (laughs) my um grandparents used to like my grandfather was the lead hand or whatever you call it on a farm And he would be in charge of hiring seasonal workers. And back then you had to have like 17 people on a threshing crew. And the seasonal workers, of course, were indigenous people. And my grandma, being the social Scottish woman, said, come camp on our land, use our well, you know, and got Mm -hmm. to know, grandma and grandpa got to know a lot of indigenous people in the area. And so my my dad grew up 
with Native mm. people all mm -hmm. around, in and out of his house in the summers and springs and falls. Right. And uh, he thought he wanted to be a missionary to Indigenous people. Mm. But then my mom convinced him to go to Africa. <laughs> uh -huh. and, if but, you wanted to get married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so he had a real heart for right. Indigenous people. The whole time I was growing up, yeah. he was talking about their culture, bringing home books, telling stories. Mm. And uh, so when Jack says, I feel called to be in Native ministry, I said, okay, whatever. You know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that's, yeah, it was a common passion okay. for both of us. Mm -hmm. All right, so you met her brother, Chris, then? Yes, or indirectly, in whose job, okay. yeah. Okay, whose job, okay. Yeah. Were you going to yes. Bible college? Yeah, I was. Okay. I was already, I had graduated. Right. But, yeah, we met through friends. Okay. Awesome. And so how long have you been married, then? 45 years. 45 years. Awesome. And kids, family? Four daughters. Okay. Um, and 10 grandchildren. Okay. Awesome. Uh, how about faith in Christ? When did you first come to faith in Christ? You said you grew up, you know, obviously in the church around people sharing the gospel all the time, but when did it move from becoming something you grew up with to your own personal faith, and what was that journey like for you? Um, well, I grew up going to Columbia Bible Camp. It was okay. called Columbia Bible yep. Camp back then. And I remember Herb Neufeld was my counselor one mm. one summer. And I remember him basically saying, if you didn't want to go to hell, raise your hand with your eyes closed. And, and so I did. And then he said, those of you who raised your hands, will go sit out in the bush mm -hmm. and we'll talk. So there was, I think, four or five of us. But one of them was the bully. Mm. He would, he was... An adopted kid, and I think he had, you know, some rough background. But he used to inflict pain. He knew where all the pressure points were and stuff in, in Sunday school. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I was just sitting there going, I wonder if this means he's not going to be mean anymore. <laughs> and I kind of missed. Right. Right. And that was, but that was a move in the right direction. Right. Um, <clears throat> I think I, well, I was a selfish, sinful person. And uh, the rebel in our family. Mm. So in 74, a good friend of mine said, let's go up north to work. So we applied at Cassiar Asbestos. Mm -hmm. Two days later, we were up there. And we were both living, you know, kind of a rough lifestyle. And one, one night in the bunkhouse, in his room, he, uh, he said, he had had a, a cancer scare. He had myeloma mm. taken off his shoulder. He said, when I, was, when I had that cancer scare, I accepted the Lord. And mm. I said, you're trying to tell me you're a Christian? And I got kind of mad at him. <laughs> I said, if we both die tonight, we're going to the same place. And he pulled out this four spiritual laws book. Okay. And he explained Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For mm. my faith you've been saved through, through grace you've been saved through by faith, mm -hmm. not by works. And he explained it, that uh, the gift of God was Christ. And we were staying up in mm -hmm. the mine over Christmas, and he said, it's like a Christmas present. Mm -hmm. You have to open it up and make it your own. And it mm -hmm. made sense to me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> and then John 10.10, 10, 
It came to give abundant life. Mm. And we had probably done something that evening that altered our <laughs> our minds a little bit, but that um, concept of abundant life really grabbed hold. Right. And I was like, what could that look like? Mm. I think it was just before we went up north, I had kind of a, I think God gave me kind of a vision of where my life was leading. Mm. And I was dying in a gutter. Mm. And it was just a very real, yeah, that's where this is going. Hmm. So I told Doug, I said, that's what I need. I need forgiveness of sin. Hmm. And so we prayed the prayer at the back of the book. Hmm. And uh, when I walked back to my bunkhouse that night, I've never seen the northern lights that bright hmm. before or after. Hmm. The next morning, the trees were much greener, the sky was much bluer, and I was very happy. I was very happy for hmm. several years. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was the beginning, and then the Indian community was just beyond the tailings pile of this asbestos mine. Okay. Downwind from the asbestos tailings pile. Right. And I got to know native people up there, which mm -hmm. led to this adventurous life, this wonderful okay. life. Yeah. <laughs> Abundant life. Abundant life. Abundant life. Awesome. <clears throat> Ellen, how about you, your, your uh, journey to faith, uh, personal faith in Christ, and what led up to that? Well, I was five years old. Hmm. I was having nightmares hmm. about these monsters in my dream were telling me that just because my mom and dad could go to heaven didn't mean I could. Hmm. And they weren't going to let me. And hmm. being the feisty little kid that I was, I woke up from one of these nightmares and stomped down to my parents' bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> woke them up in the middle of the night and told them what these monsters were telling right. me. Said, that's not true, is it? I'm going to heaven with you and dad, aren't I, mom? And she says, actually, no, you have to make your own decision on that. Mm. So I knelt by her bed. Well, and yeah. she led me to Jesus. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, suddenly you have to do theology with a five-year-old. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. It's amazing what five-year-olds can understand. That's right. And the questions they ask that force yeah. you to come to terms with it, too. That's, yeah. that's great. Um, so <clears throat> you've already kind of alluded to this, but God's sense, you know, what your sense of God's calling uh, to full-time ministry, and, and what was that journey like? Uh, you've already kind of indicated a little bit of that, but, you know, when it went from just being, uh, well, maybe this is something to, yes, this is a direction God's calling me into. What was the, the call part of that for you? Hmm. <clears throat> Want me to start? Yeah. Okay. Well, I stayed up in Cassier for nine months. It was six months in, two weeks out. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when I went back up after the first six months, I got a letter from my mom saying that Doug's cancer was getting the best of him, hmm. had come back. She said, you should come home and see him before he dies. So I quit, and I remember riding the bus out of town and seeing the native folks on the streets. And, and uh, my self-confidence was very low um, for a number of reasons, but one of them was that I had an eye condition that hmm. wasn't diagnosed until I was in my 30s. Mm. which made it very difficult for me to read, Convergence Insufficiency. Mm. So I dropped out of high school and was kind of a loser. And um, <clears throat> so I pretty shyly said to God, 
you know, if you think it'd be possible, I'd like to work with these people. Mm. And uh, went off to Briarcrest and met quite a number of native, mostly Cree people at Briarcrest. And that desire just never left. Mm. So, <clears throat> yeah, at, by graduation time, it was, you know, which mission to pick, and right. uh, we're going for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. For me, it wasn't specific to the indigenous people, but mm. when I was 10, I was in boarding school, and I was raised with people who were serving the Lord full time. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't anything foreign or scary to me. Um, and when we always had a story time before we went to bed, the, our dorm parents would tell us a story and feed us a snack. Mm -hmm. And the Bible verse that they were talking about that night was, Unto whom much is given, much is required. Mm -hmm. And I knew compared to the African people around us, we had a lot. And we had a lot of truth and a lot mm -hmm. of material um, blessings. And I just knew that Jesus was requiring my whole life in service to him. And you'd think I wouldn't have wrestled with that as a 10-year-old. It would just be something normal because everyone around me was a missionary, right? Right. <laughs> and doing fine. <laughs> I wrestled until the sun came up with, right. with giving my whole life to God to do what mm. he wanted and when the sun came up I, it was a done deal right. and that never left me and mm. so but I wasn't specific to where I would right. serve God I just wanted to serve God mm -hmm. so when Jack said native people and I have this background I'm going oh well why not makes sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay then. you can kind of here connect the dots and go okay this yeah. is what you were doing God yeah here we yeah. go then awesome <laughs> yeah and now you've been serving with name for how long now? Uh, I, I think, well, Jack, earlier you told me you started with them, went to different organization back to name. Mm -hmm. but what's yeah. been that kind of overall arc then of serving so with name? We worked with name for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Started in 1980. And okay. one of my assignments in Saskatoon, <clears throat> just through, through circumstances, I got to know um, the director of the Indian Social Work Program, which okay. is through the University of Regina. Mm -hmm. It was called um, Saskatchewan Indian Federated College. While we were up north, way up in northern Saskatchewan, running canoe trips up there, um, I bumped into this guy who had a different outfitter in the same town, Paul Wilkinson. He had us come over and pump out his septic tank after supper, and I said, so what do you do in your spare time? He says, I'm the director of the Indian Social Work Program in hmm. Saskatoon. Well, that just hit the mark for me where I was at spiritually and mentally and uh, just what I was wanting to learn. And so I was the only non-Native student. Hmm. It was interesting because we were still on the reserve down in Broadview. When we got back, we had a supervisory visit the next day supervisor was it wasn't even in our house yet and he said we've had a resignation in Saskatoon would you consider moving to Saskatoon mm -hmm. and I already had this connection with the college there. right so then I spent about four four or five years as a student interacting as the only non-indigenous student in the mm -hmm. college 
which were very challenging years, but very good years. Um, and we used to have elders come in kind of unannounced every now and then and have their uh, sandbox mm -hmm. with their with their braid of sweet grass and the pipe and they'd have ceremonies. Well, I didn't want to participate in ceremonies, so it became almost like a, a humorous thing when they'd show up because mm. the women weren't allowed to participate. <laughs> so they'd say, well, you, so yeah. they'd say, well, are you going to be a man or a woman today? And yeah. I'd, I'll be a woman. <laughs> and um, yeah, in some ways it was, it was really challenging. I think I'm getting off track. Oh, that's good. What was the, the question? The question was... Just how, how, how long, long have you been, been serving? Oh, so so we anything even what led, led to that Every connection. time the elders would come, it'd be exactly the same thing. Right. The missionaries destroyed our culture. Mm. And they'd conclude by saying, what are we going to do with our young people? Mm. So I thought, young people are really where they would have resources. Right. They'd like to. So I joined Youth for Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, developed a program taking young people to Mexico, okay. like doing mission trips to Juarez, Mexico, mm -hmm. building houses, working in orphanage. Mm -hmm. And I'd say those were really fruitful years and really enjoyable years. Mm -hmm. A lot of work. And uh, so after 10 years with Youth for Christ, five years in Saskatoon and five years in Calgary, uh, I burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ministry burnout. Yeah, know. who knew? So, <laughs> Big so that's, when Ellen, that's when Ellen picked up the oh, torch. Okay. <laughs> well, when this, he, this is early nineties then, or yeah, ninety three. Yeah. Ninety three. Yeah. Okay. Well, when he joined, like uh, with name, we were a couple in the ministry. Right. But with uh, when he joined Youth for Christ, I wasn't a part of Youth for Christ. So okay. It wasn't the same kind of. Deal. It wasn't a two-for-one deal. Yeah. Oh, okay. So so then I got a job in our church as the children's pastor. Okay. The church we were going to. And then we moved to Calgary, and I was a children's pastor in two churches there, mm. while Jack was with Youth for Christ. Okay. And then I just felt like I was in this potluck with some Native friends, and they were saying how they didn't have any Bible stories uh, to tell their children at night that had the Bible and their culture. Mm. And I, we were just in this lineup to this potluck, and I says, well, why don't we start writing some? Mm. And they looked at me like I was from outer space. And how, <laughs> you could this do was, that? Yeah, this was like over 20 okay. years ago. Yeah. And But we, I took a course at Mount Royal College in mm. publishing and figured out how to do this thing okay. and published our first book together, and that, that set me off on a trajectory that okay. I had no idea. So I resigned from being a children's pastor to do this okay. with Jack. And then he, yeah, mm -hmm. he kind of faded out because uh, our girls, four girls were getting married okay. for weddings in three years. Oh boy. <laughs> so we got a real job <laughs> driving a Greyhound bus so we could pay for the weddings. Uh, <laughs> and he's, he's always been by my side and support. We right. always support each other in the ministry, yeah. but it's, you know, that's, that's why my end of things kind of took off. Right, and, yeah. yeah. But yeah. you know, when I joined Youth for Christ and while I was a bus driver, hmm. my relationship with Native people that I already knew became that much easier okay. when I wasn't the missionary. When you weren't the missionary. We were just talking yeah, to right. your dad about yeah. that. Yeah. 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 
about how he had another like job that gave him legitimacy yeah. in the in the community yeah. and people don't look on me as a missionary like the indigenous people they look on me as someone who publishes books right so i have a legitimate role she's a kokum yeah and i'm a grandmother okay. means grandma okay <laughs> <laughs> and i'm a grandmother that helps but uh, yeah so now i have a role in the christian indigenous community mm that they don't look on as a missionary and the barriers are much lower. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome. Excellent. So you were bus driving, you were with Youth for Christ, and then did was back, it you that back, ended up back, back to Maine? Maine? Yeah. We both did. Both, yeah. And then Jack just felt like his job was done. Yeah. Okay. Just, yeah. And kind of faded out. Mm-hmm. And I faded in because <laughs> my job wasn't. That's, that's awesome. All right. Well, um, let's dive into kind of where you guys are at now uh, a little bit and what you're seeing uh, God doing in and through the ministries that you're you're supporting and what you're involved in now and just uh, the, the overall impact that that, uh, that is or isn't happening and the challenge that are with that. So we'll cover that in a few little steps here what what is it that you're seeing God doing in, in people's lives uh, right now oh so much I mean we've seen so much fruit mm. over the years people standing for the Lord people children standing mm. for the Lord now we're seeing second and third generation mm -hmm. Christians mm -hmm. in the indigenous community mm -hmm. it's you know they always told us you have to stick in there for a long time to see results right <laughs> Yeah. We've, we're seeing it, and awesome. it's so rewarding. Yeah. We went back to the reserve that we started on 40 years ago mm -hmm. in the in 1981, I think. Is that, that's even more than 40 yeah. years ago now. But, um, yeah, but is it? 42. Yeah. <laughs> but we, were, we went back because um, our fellow co-workers were retiring. Okay. So we back, went back for their retirement service mm -hmm. at the church that we used to attend, the Indigenous church. Mm -hmm. And, oh, it was just so wonderful to see people standing for the Lord and mm -hmm. joyful in their faith and remembering us fondly. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. Mm -hmm. it's, there's nothing like sticking it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and seeing the leaders emerge yes. of those yes. probably that were even kids yeah. while you yeah. were yeah. In, yes. in ministry there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was it going to? Wanted to kind of go down that that road a little bit. What was a um, you see leaders in that community that were kids, and and what was the how was that? I mean, that'd be awesome. Uh, but what what would you say was part of the journey for them, maybe, and, and how were you part of that journey? In uh, uh, I, I think one of the one of the key uh, keys to names mission is to have the indigenous people leading their churches. Yes. Um, yes. And so that's, you're seeing the fruit of that now. We are. So yeah. for instance, Howard Jolly, who I was talking about mm. earlier, who is writing a book, right. he, he did a survey of the main themes of the New Testament mm -hmm. and then is kind of telling how they relate to indigenous issues today. Right. In the most loving and biblical way. Mm. Is, I'm just so proud of him. We've known him since he was a teenager. Okay. And we kind of have grown up together in mm -hmm. the faith, um, co in contact here and there in different ways. Mm 
And then to have him as a mature Indigenous leader ask me to help him get the, this word out to Great. his people, it's there is no greater reward. Right. Yeah. And he, he knew Alan's dad, his dad. Okay. My dad was his crest. teacher, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, and to see them go through to become the theologians, yes. Bible translators, leaders within their spiritual community. Like, we're pretty used to that in white culture. In yeah. fact, most of our theology books are all written from a white well, Western exactly. perspective. Exactly. But to have a different cultural view on the New Testament, on theological issues, and be able to speak it in that culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely critical. Yeah. And we've known that in foreign missions for years, at but home missions. But not in the indigenous community no. so much. It's just emerging yes. now. So that's pretty exciting to be a part of that. Yeah, I had, uh, I've, I've got a, a big volume called uh, Majority World Theology on my desk that I've read through. And Ray Aldred is another. Mm -hmm. he, he, uh, I think he at Vancouver School of Theology, First yeah. Nations, with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Yeah. You know, starting to do theological work within yeah. the First Nations worldview with yeah. the gospel yeah. and how those don't necessarily have to be opposites in or no. in conflict. No. And I think that's one of the big struggles a lot of people have, especially mm -hmm. Western white mm -hmm. churches. Yeah. Um, I sense that a lot, actually. Uh, when these things get brought up, there's, yeah. there's a real hesitancy of allowing them to do or to speak theologically through their culture. Mm -hmm. um, how do you navigate that? Oh. <laughs> you can't. Well, all I can say is we have learned a better world view, better spiritual worldview mm. through being in connection <clears throat> with the indigenous community than we ever could have with the white community. You, mm. You're kind of blind to your own blind spots, right? Yeah. And yeah. bumping up with a culture that's so different, you have to think things through. Yeah. And so we've been able to think things through that so many people don't have the privilege to do right. that. Right, yeah. And it's been so precious. We've been so blessed. Yeah, yeah so it's kind of like when I taught Bible college for, for a number of years, and I would, some of my early courses, I would say, you know, as we come to this text, whether it's the Pentateuch or the Gospels, I taught both of those courses, each of us is coming with our whole yep. experience to this text. So I grew up in the East Kootenays in a pretty conservative church, very white, never, I, I remember two indigenous kids mm -hmm. that were adopted into a white family. Other than that, they didn't exist in my world. Yeah. Um, and knowing that I am coming to the Bible through the lens of very Western thinking. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we all have to somewhat admit that yeah. <laughs> when we come to the text. That yeah. an objective reading of this and even objective theology is a bit of a yeah. oxymoron. Yeah. And we all have a filter that it's going to go yeah. through. And it's just amazing yes. coming up against things that you've never thought of because you've never had to yeah. think about it. Jack has a beautiful illustration. He says, as Christians around the world, we're like a disco ball. We each mm. have a little, <laughs> our own reflection of Jesus. And together right. we shine. Yeah. And we need to learn other people's cultures mm -hmm. and perspectives in order to really understand Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's one of the things you know. I think personally, I'm hungry for is to is to hear you know you know like I said this morning that the majority and this has been going on for years now, and I think Western Christianity might finally be getting the picture is that the majority of Christians are Southern Hemisphere, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Africa and and uh, South America, Asia to an extent, and now they're starting to write and reflect theologically yep. through their cultural lens. And we would be much better off if we would start listening yes. uh, to the majority of the Christian yes. church now, rather than the minority ruling everything. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, we've been, we've been educated, most of us have been educated in a humanistic, secular humanistic culture. Right. Right. So we see things very linearly and scientifically, um, moving to the reserve, the reserve that we worked on was, um, it was a challenging reserve because there were four reserves side by side, two Cree and one Soto, and our mm. reserve was five different language groups mm. that they had stuck on this reserve. They were kind of the last leftovers. leftovers. <laughs> we don't know what to do with you. So you go there. And yeah. told, told them to pick one chief. Represent themselves. Yeah, how'd that go? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so a lot of political division, and and they were still using a lot of bad medicine, and some people mm-hmm. were even using a, a Haitian voodoo. Mm-hmm. A lot of weird stuff that I didn't have categories in my mind mm-hmm. to comprehend what was going on, but there mm-hmm. was a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Not all reserves are like that. This was a very unique situation. Um, but a friend of mine, a friend of ours, while we were there, uh, had just gotten out of jail and he's given me permission to share his story. Mm. Um, he was, his, his, his work was kind of doing B and E's and selling drugs mm. when they were in Regina. Um, his wife's job was prostitution. They had three kids of their own, but she was still, and, you know, we've met three of her aunties. They were involved in the same lifestyle. While Terry, Terry was in jail, two of his brothers committed suicide on the reserve. So he came back when he got out of jail to see what was going on with his family. He was the oldest brother. And he kind of analyzed what was the problem, and there were some people that he wanted to get back at revenge. So he went to his grandmother in Fort Capel, who was a medicine woman, and they say she was the most powerful medicine woman in southern Saskatchewan. She had the white sand spirit. Mm. And he got his stuff, and he was going to meet with a certain person and put it on her, and she was going to die. Mm. Well, he was, he was working night watchman at the residential school on the reserve. It's the residential school where all those graves have been discovered. The 700 of them okay. the house is reserved. <clears throat> so um, the night before he was going to meet with her, I was visiting with him, and uh, I read about uh, the sins of the parents shall be passed on to the third and fourth generation, mm. but the Lord's blessing to the thousandth generation of those who love him. Mm. And that really grabbed him because mm-hmm. he understands curses and he understands right. blessings. Yeah, just blessings. 
So he says, I can't do it. And he accepted the Lord. Hmm. Right? So then we went into the boiler room and we got this sealer jar of water and willow boughs and Mm. we broke the curse. Mm. But that whole world view, and and that's just one story of what we experienced on that reserve. Mm. I was not taught in Briar Crest Bible College. How do you deal with that? that? No. No. It's not on the curriculum anymore. No, it wasn't at the time. It probably is now. So anyway, shortly after that, Terry went for wrote his GED, his Greek Twelve Equivalency. He got the highest mark of anybody in the province of Saskatchewan Mm. ever. Mm -hmm. So then him and I went to the University of Saskatchewan, and he got into the Indian Teacher Education Program. Even though the funding had all been spent that year, the director said, I'm getting you in here. Mm. And then they tried, within the second year, to get a, a commitment for him to come back to teach. Right. He, just brilliant. Yeah. So now he's 65 years old and just now finishing off his PhD. Mm. But he's been chief two terms okay. and has done a lot of wonderful things for, for his people. Mm. And uh, they actually followed us to Saskatoon when we moved there. Mm. And because uh, I got very direct with them, I said, you got to get off the reserve. It's hell. Mm. And it was just dark. It was right. dark. But he got his education and he went back and mm. still lives there. We went and visited him what, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so he brought us up to speed on reconciliation from mm. their point of view, which right. is largely financial. Mm. And it's... Uh, Really big, really big numbers he's talking. Right. So, but that worldview, for for a long time while we were working there, when people on the reserve were getting an illness, their first thought was, somebody's put a curse on me. Mm. And for Mm -hmm. us, it's like, oh, I better go get some physical medicine for this physical problem. Right. (laughs) And for a long time, I was struggling with, like, Who's more right? Mm. And we were both right. Right. <laughs> right? Two so, sides to that. Yeah. So, yeah, for them to, with that kind of a spiritual background, mm. to be able to speak the gospel in their language with their understanding of life mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah. Yeah. But just little things we learned. You know, <clears throat> we learn more, I think, than we taught. Um, once there was a woman that was putting a curse on us and we knew it, uh, they always kind of tell you they have this kind of an ethical thing that they have to tell you. (laughs) And so we had this preserves or something that she had put a curse on. We, we were poor back then, so we wanted to eat the jam. (laughs) (laughs) And we were asking Terry, he was just a new Christian. He says, well, what should we do with this? And he says, isn't that why Christians bless the food? I went, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So oh, we never the thought food. of that. Yeah. Why would I? Yeah, why would we coming from this our background? So we did. Right, right. It's it. like this isn't yeah. like an equal battle here, is it? Yeah, no, yeah. it's not. Creator versus. No, no. <laughs> so we enjoyed that job. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, so, what are some of the challenges in ministry? Maybe just. You know, you, you can you can see that over, you can answer that over the course of your ministry or even maybe even just the current, current challenges. Relationships. Yeah. Trust. Trust. Yeah. 
Right. We've been friends with really good friends since Saskatoon days, 80s, in the 80s, with a couple who came to know the Lord uh, and started coming to our church. And mm. we befriended them, and we've been just really good friends ever since. Some of our best friends. Well, now they just live up the hill from us in Calgary. We've been we've maintained a close relationship with mm-hmm. them, and went on holidays to Mexico with them last year. Having supper with them a couple of weeks ago. This whole, you know, like you mentioned, the right. whole coronation thing and the. Um, now that we've known each other for as long as we have. That we're opening up more and more with each other, mm-hmm. getting more real with each other. Okay. And their attitude towards the monarchy and colonialism right. came out at supper, and it was mm. sh- shocking to us. Mm. Like, because they are the most gracious people. Mm. But when it came to that, all of a sudden, here was this anger that we hadn't ever seen in them. Well. And it was, yeah. you know, we were the people <clears throat> in their lives that they could vent right. about this situation. But we feel that tension all the time with mm. all our relationships with Indigenous people. Um, there's never full trust. Mm. I'd say maybe not never, but very seldom mm-hmm. real trust because of the background right. and, you know, the issues mm-hmm. that they've faced. I always say, if you want to be marginalized in the Christian church, just be a missionary to Native people. <laughs> because we yeah. also have, like, people are suspicious of us in non-Indigenous churches if we're in Native ministry because right. there's a prejudice yep. Yep. issue. And so, like, they, when they see us coming, they back away and their eyes roll and they don't want to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. And not this church, but other churches Mm -hmm. and so yeah that's the biggest challenge is how do you get over these barriers in relationships both with the indigenous community and the non-indigenous community Mm -hmm. to be able to work effectively right yeah it's always a delicate dance yeah yeah i I bet um how has the last couple of years challenged or even reshaped your ministry I got a lot more work done because I had to stay home. <laughs> and my, my work is mostly online, right. talking with okay. people online. Okay. So I got a whole bunch of books published and it was great. Okay. But I couldn't go out and sell them, you know, because yeah. I would go to conventions and things where I could sell books before. Right. And I haven't been able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then after, like Jack got kind of long COVID symptoms mm-hmm. and my knees are, during COVID, my knees started given out on me because I'm that age Mm -hmm. and so now we're not as mobile as we used to be I would really like to get out more and sell more books so that my indigenous authors can benefit and so people can know about them so that would be a prayer request Mm -hmm. and that's what kind of stopped in the last two or three years yeah yeah awesome which uh how many authors are you working with at a, at a time or three or four right now yeah. but then other ones pop in and out you know like mm-hmm. it's a and this is across the spectrum or just 
Christian indigenous authors? Just Christian. Okay. It's really easy now for non in, non Christian indigenous authors to find a publisher. Right. Because it's like very trendy yeah. right now. Yeah. So there's money for that. But mm. for indigenous Christian authors to find a publisher, it's very difficult mm. because there is that prejudice barrier. And right. they don't have the connections that mm -hmm. most people would have. There aren't a lot of Christian indigenous publishing companies. Right. Plus, the you know, like my friend Howard, who's our age, is working. English is actually a second language. Mm. He grew up speaking Cree. Okay. And so he's processing everything through that. So his right. writing skills aren't the same as what a person who grew up speaking English would be. Mm -hmm. And so not very many publishers want to take on that amount of editing. Right. And, <laughs> yes. and he knows it. Right. That's why he asked me to help. Yeah. So, but that, those are the challenges. Right. And I guess also in light of Truth and Reconciliation Report, the residential school findings over the last couple of years, I guess, you know, for... <clears throat> Uh, for generations, the Indigenous people knew this, but we didn't, mm -hmm. kind of. And it took yeah. the Kamloops School find and now all yeah. these others to actually bring yeah. this to light. What's, what's, how has that impacted your your work, the, the open, closed doors um, relationship with the community? All of that, because that's, I think that's all on everybody's mind mm -hmm. right now more than anything is mm -hmm. that we see these. One, I think you mentioned earlier, the media, uh, how the media takes a very yeah. one-sided view on that. Um, but how has it affected your relationships and then your ministry around that too? Well, it's helped in some ways because some people in the non-Indigenous community who were just really closed uh, to talking about Indigenous issues have actually asked me for resources that they can mm. read and help to understand indigenous people, especially mm -hmm. Christians. So right. that's helped a lot to open it up. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, we've known about this for a long time. It's no news to anyone that we know right. <laughs> in the indigenous community. Mm -hmm. So it, that hasn't really affected our relationships that much. Right. So, yeah, we were actually worked on Kaosis Reserve where they found those 700 and some okay. unmarked graves. Mm -hmm. We knew they were unmarked. They used to be marked. They were. It was a graveyard right. that had these wooden crosses that kind of disintegrated over the years, right? right? So everyone knew where the graves were. Right. They had just lost the markers. Right. But so when that all blew up in the news, we're all rolling our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but we know right. the, the chief of that reserve, we knew his, his dad. Yeah. yeah. And he's a real political force. Well, he's always been on the council. Yeah. But he helped me move to, to yeah. Saskatoon. Hmm. Yeah. And he's getting rid of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, so we know the, everyone on the news, we actually knew okay. who they were. Yeah. And it's being used by both the Indigenous community and the media to, you know, blow a situation up. Hmm. But it was a sad time where Mm -hmm. The infant mortality rate in those years was 40% mm -hmm. in the Indigenous community. Yep. And kids were dying of tuberculosis mm -hmm. all the time. 
and the parents were not told because they were they didn't know how to contact the parents mm. and there was no telephones and stuff back then and right. so they would just bury them mm-hmm. the parents would find out years later sometimes mm. and mm. Uh, yeah it was a horrible time in our history mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well what's God laying on your heart for ministry now and what's what do you feel your divine imperative Whatever ministry life you have left, what's what's God calling you well, to? Can I just interject? Okay, sure. interject. <laughs> what is he going to interject? Well, I've been retired for five years. Right. There was COVID, and then I've had health issues. Mm-hmm. So we haven't been very mobile. So we're in about a 900-square-foot condo. Her desk is right in the middle of our condo, so I'm in her workspace all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> The language that comes... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, um, it's not really what I was envisioning for a retirement. Right. Driving here was actually one of the nicest things that we've done together since since COVID and retirement. Right. But I actually heard the word retirement Mm. come out of her mouth. Okay. Like a few more projects and I think I might be ready. Right. And my response was... I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> the problem is, God keeps giving me really fun and interesting things to right. do. <laughs> There's no lack. There's no lack. <laughs> no, I and I don't that. go looking for it. They find right. me. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, I always think, okay, after this, because, you know, he, mm-hmm. Jack just turned 70, and I'm going to be 70 next year. Okay. After this, then I'll retire. Yeah. But then something comes up that I can't resist. All right. So, oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are some perks. Mm. We're, we're going to Santa Fe this uh, August. Okay. To the 51st annual Indian market. Mm. I've been there. I took one of my native mission groups there one summer. It's fantastic. Mm. Indigenous people from the Americas. Right. Including Canada. Mm. Yeah. Thousands of them with yeah. their music and their mm. artwork and Mm-hmm. In Santa Fe, which is a very artsy little historical mm-hmm. place, it's so that's going to be uh, kind of a yeah. icing on the cake. It's and we hope that we to, get to do it's, visit some Navajo friends down okay. there that we've known for years that mm-hmm. are running a, a Christian camp mm-hmm. and encourage them and give them some books mm-hmm. and things for their camp. So yeah, it's not all bad. No, it could be worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. So the retirement's a possibility, but unlikely it sounds. Well, depends, totally depends, depends on what you call well, retirement. Yeah. Right? I'm retired. You're retired, but and we live in one of the highest native population areas in Calgary. Right. Which, and it's it's you know a community that has a reputation, but we just love it. Mm. We have a lot of really eccentric neighbors and good stories. I, it's just a. Being part of the community in a very normal way is, right. is really nice. Yeah. And yeah. God will use that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. For So how can we how can we pray for you? What are some of the key prayer points for us as a church this year, right now? Well, yeah, Jack has, um, he, he had COVID and it really put him back. Mm-hmm. He's been t- having a long time recovering from that, and he mm-hmm. has a, a kind of anemia the doctors can't figure out. Mm. 
um, doesn't have the regular sources of anemia, so okay. there's tests and stuff going on for that. Mm -hmm. And um, appreciate prayer for our kids. Mm -hmm. Two of them are struggling in their faith, mm -hmm. and uh, appreciate prayer for mm -hmm. that. And just that, yeah, for this project with the Mary Gray Eyes book for mm -hmm. funding yeah. for winter, for mm -hmm. and your dad and mom know winter. Okay. I don't know if you did or not. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just that we'd be able to raise the funds for the illustrations. Awesome. Yeah. That's the practical. Relationships. Yeah, mm -hmm. relationships. Yeah, mm -hmm. how to Like, even working navigate with them. Howard, they're working so well together. Mm. And just to pray that that, that relationship unity. continues. I think that unity is yeah. the biggest mm -hmm. testimony we can have of a non-Indigenous and Indigenous person working together. Mm -hmm. But Satan wants to disrupt that, right. guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> Another perk was um, we went to Israel a number of years ago with some of our First Nations mm -hmm. friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a real highlight, a real highlight in so many ways. The similarities between, well, they brought their 12-year-old daughter who Ellen got to baptize in the Jordan River. Mm. Mm -hmm. And she was like, these people are tribal. They're like us. They're tribal. Mm -hmm. and she was seeing that. And Larry, who is the dad, um, he's the head of Native Social Family Services around Calgary. Mm. And grew up in a very abusive home. But he was just amazed at a number of things. One of them, the children. He'd see these children in Hasidic Jewish families, and he'd be, look how safe those children look. Hmm. Look how happy they are. He really was sensitive to that. But then some of the land issues as well, hmm. you know, that they're facing and, mm -hmm. and what his people have faced with land issues. Hmm. We went to a Passover with them, and uh, we were actually seated with the rabbi's family and extended family. And so they were asking about us, and there's some rumors that I have some Jewish ancestry, and so we're like, well, you know, we might be kind of <laughs> Jewish, I don't know. But and then they asked about Larry and Colleen, who are Aboriginal. Mm -hmm. oh, what about you? And Larry says, well, we're native. And they're like, well, we're First Nations. So finally, Alan says, "You've heard about cowboys and Indians." <laughs> of course, <laughs> we're we're cowboys. They're, they're the Indians. Indians. Yeah. Well, then, then, then these people. Could not stop focusing on Larry and okay. Oh, they were just and fascinating. even the next day at the swimming pool, five men came out and were just peppering him with questions about residential school, mm -hmm. land issues, mm -hmm. um, and some of the prejudices they have there, parallels of the prejudices we have here. It's mm -hmm. very, very. Um, they were treated as equals mm -hmm. in Israel, mm -hmm. not second-class citizens, right. which yeah. was strange for them. They have mm. never been treated with that kind of honor right. in a public yeah. situation like mm -hmm. that. So yeah. it was so, interesting to see. And that was a part of a book that you haven't finished yet. Yeah. It was part of it. <laughs> there had to be a project involved, right? Okay. So that might be the Might be the last the one. Last Who knows? One. Okay. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was one of the yeah. highlights 
one of the perks of being a missionary. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Seen some great things. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with our church family or? Just thanks. Okay. And gratitude. Yeah, awesome. And yeah. we've been connected with you since the early 80s. Yes. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yes. So that would have been under Ray Nickel. Ray Nickel. Ray, yeah, he was our yeah, pastor at Central Heights MB. Okay. And kind of discipled Jack a bit in the early mm -hmm. days of yeah. his faith. Okay. And then when he moved here to pastor, he invited us to come and do a presentation for the church. Okay. And, yeah. Had to work at the Calvary. And now you can't get rid of us. There we go. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time. Thank you for coming and for sharing this morning. And uh, we'll be continuing to pray for you. So uh, how about I just wrap up with that? Let's just pray. Okay. Lord, thank you so much uh, for Jack and Ellen, the journey that, of life that you have had them on and the opportunities that you've given them to minister um, to our First Nations uh, people here uh, Lord, would you continue to guide and direct uh, their next steps? Lord, for the uh, funding that needs to come through for this uh, book and this illustration, uh, the illustrator, Lord, we pray that that would come through uh, quickly in a timely manner. Uh, Lord, for the other book projects that are, are on the go that need to be uh, wrapped up, uh, we pray that you would just uh, continue to give uh, Ellen good working relationships um, with the writers, um, as she does editing work, uh, may they think clearly about what you're wanting to say through these works, and, uh, and may they capture that well. Lord, for their children too, um, and their, their extended family, we pray that you would just continually be calling uh, to them, drawing them to yourself. Uh, Lord, we've all, uh, we all have family that are, are wandering at times, and, uh, and they, need to, they need to come back to you, so we pray that for their their kids. And Lord, just for the health situations uh, that have crept up the last few years, we ask that your hand would be upon them, that your healing uh, would be evident, um, that the glory would go to you. Thank you for our time together, and uh, we just pray uh, your continued direction of blessing on uh, the name ministry and, uh, and the unity of the church, Lord. Uh, that is what you have prayed for. And so, Lord, help us to pray into that and then also to live into it as well as followers of Jesus. Uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, through all, and in all. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.